I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Greetings, my friends. Great to have you join us here in studio in Edmond, Oklahoma. That's right. Edmond, Oklahoma, a suburb of Oklahoma City. Which is one of the largest cities in the United States. It is. It is. I, we, we, should need, we need to quit talking down about the city because it is happening. Have we ever talked down about it? I do. You do? Yeah. No, this is an amazing place. We had a marathon this past weekend where there were 27,000 people running. Can That's you crazy. believe that? 27,000. And we now have one of the tallest buildings in the Midwest. That's right. And we have... The NBA champions. We do have the NBA champions. (laughs) Soon to be NBA champions. Soon to be. We have one of the most stable economies in the United States. And we have we are in the top five of best places to live in the United States. We have the Credo House. That was I I had like ten other things to build up to and then finally. (laughs) Sorry, okay, give it capstone. What were a couple other things you were gonna mention before I I took I was really out of them. (laughs) 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 Um Stop by here sometime, guys. You're I thirty five, I forty. Go from one end of the country to the other, up, down, sideways, east, west, north, south. You have to come through Oklahoma City, and if you pass where I thirty five passes I forty, you're only what six miles from the Credo House. I mean, so close that it'd be a crime not to stop. You know how many times you guys have been close to the Credo House and you missed it? You just didn't even think. You thought it's too hard to find. I, 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 it'd take too long. It won't. No. Where's Sam? Uh, Sam is not here right now. I'm not sure where he is at this particular moment in time. And well, we're just doing it without him, right? Yes, yes. But he is doing well. Uh, he was actually here earlier uh, in the day. We chatted with him, and we're going to do a one-of without Sam, and then we'll resume our series next week with Sam. Taking a break from the series on um, difficult passages of the Bible, we'll pick that back up next week with a couple of really good ones. Don't yeah. want to miss those. But yeah. I want to talk today about uh, talking about God. Okay, And this is, this is how to talk about God. Okay, how okay. how to talk about God. How to talk about God. Okay. Uh, book out that says how not to talk about God. That was real popular re- recently. But I want to talk about how to talk about God. And really what I'm talking about here, uh, Tim, that we need to discuss is um, kind of how to be a good theologian. Okay. Because we're all theologians. That's right. If you have had a thought about God, you are a theologian. Even an atheist is a theologian because their thought about God is that he doesn't exist. If you've talked about God, you have proclaimed God, you have tried to explain God in any sense, Jesus, evangelized, you're a theologian, period. Yeah. No way around it, right? Uh, nope. Sorry. Okay. So, guys, this is for everybody. This isn't. Don't don't turn off your sets. How oh, this is for those people who are theologians, because that is you, or those who are gifted in apologetics or something like that. I want to talk about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So your thing's gonna have twelve points. Huh? Twelve points. Twelve issues about talking about God. Okay. So everybody, get out a pen and write all of these down. There's gonna be twelve. They're only one word. You'll be able to. 
remember these. I don't have it in an acronym. Maybe we'll try to put it together later in an acronym or something, but that might be self-defeating as we'll see in a moment. Well, and that could be a point is feel like every time you share, you don't have to share in an acronym. That's you true. you got to get that out But, but at least know that I don't do the acronym first and then try to figure out how <laughs> right. it works out. Because people do that. So, so, Tim, whenever we're talking about being good theologians, when we're talking about talking about God, um, and, and trying to gain influence. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be in a world that is skeptical, that is hyper-skeptical, that is suspicious, that doesn't that, that tunes out as quick as possible whenever you begin to proclaim uh, truth in any exclusive way. That's right. Um, we, we've got to be different, don't we, than we used to? Yeah, I, th- I think we need to be very different because there is, when you open your mouth to speak to somebody about God, uh, one of the first things going through that person's mind, a lot of people's mind, is who in the world do you think you are uh, to that you somehow have this truth? Like, what makes you so special? And how would you be so arrogant to think that you can truly speak for the God of the universe if there is one? And they're expecting certain types of characteristics from you because that is what they have seen in the past. That's right. Uh, they're expecting you to become militant. Yes. Uh, many times angry. Uh, disassociative if the people do not agree, and just simply uh, prideful, Um, Mm -hmm. unable to hear anything but what you have to say. So I want to talk about 12 points that will, I think, help us gain influence. Okay. First one, you've heard us talk about quite a bit here. If you've ever been exposed to Reclaiming the Mind Ministries or Credo House Ministries, you know this term, okay? It's ironic. Yes. Uh, They're expecting dogmatic Polemic, um, combative, uh, belligerent. Those are all antonyms. Those are all the opposite of ironic. Yeah. To not be ironic, it means you're going to get angry. It means you're going to get, in, in the Hebrew, uh, the word for angry was uh, red-nosed. <laughs> you're going to get red-nosed. <laughs> That's right. And I've been red-eared a few times whenever it, I, my, my ears get burning hot red whenever <laughs> I get angry. Okay, I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, they don't turn red. They're just burning hot red. Oh, okay, so there's no outside sign that yeah, Michael's about ready to blow his top. I don't think so. Okay, I've never seen you blow your top, though. Well. I don't think so. Have you? Ask my wife. Okay. Ask my kids, really. Okay. Uh, no, it's controlled. It's the type of uh, orge that we talk about in uh, okay. God's wrath. Yeah. Controlled. Okay. <laughs> but they expect us to get angry, folks. And when we're talking about theology, the the best thing that we can do is stay calm no matter what. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying stay dispassionate. People often hear me think and think that. Oh, you're saying stay calm and not get passionately involved. But we care about God. And therefore, how can we separate our passions from our our expressions? Mm-hmm. Well, here's what I say is you've got to get so passionate about God that you stay calm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's easy to blow up in any situation. Think about it. In any situation in life, that's the easiest thing to do is to explode. Mm-hmm. You have to calm yourself down. And you may say that it's a righteous passion in every single circumstance that you're about to explode, yeah. which may be true. One of your kids do something wrong. One of your kids uh, uh, lie. Well, it's a righteous passion not to want them to lie, right? Yeah. But you've got to be careful and calm and, and be able to figure out how to deal with the situation in a way that is productive. Mm-hmm. Exploding is the last thing you can do. And so, therefore, it doesn't, it's not productive. Yes, it expresses your passions, but it doesn't express 
any type of effectiveness of your passions. You've got to be so incredibly passionate about what you're standing up for that you stay calm. Well, and I, because I think there is a relational component tied to it, too, that if you basically have a neighbor who is not a believer and you're going to share with them and it's an all or nothing, it's like, okay, if this person does not become a believer today, I'm going to rain down fire from heaven and get so passionate about them that I am going to wipe my hands clean and I'm going to walk away from this situation forever and they're going to know that the judgment of God is on their head or whatever. I mean, it's... I think uh, in the book of Acts, uh, it's a good example of, of Peter when when they went to heal the guy that was waiting outside of the temple. It didn't. It didn't. The text doesn't necessarily tell us that uh, the first time he ever encountered this guy, he healed him. But it said as they were going to the temple, a guy who's always there, they went up and healed him one day. And I think it, you see that it's. It, you say, you know what? I'm going to share. I'm passionate, but if this person does not trust in Christ as their Savior, or if they don't not, if they don't become a Calvinist, or if they don't, wh- whatever your objective is in the conversation, is that you uh, care about the relationship enough that it's not saying all or nothing. I mean, conversations I've had with people before is saying, "Yes, of course, I want you to become a believer." Uh, that is, and I share with them about why I think that Jesus is the Savior of the world, why I think this is the most important thing, and why I think that. Out of absolute love, I would not be your friend if I wasn't going to share this to you because because truly being your friend is sharing with you what I think is the most important thing of life. But I also tell them that our our friendship is not conditioned on you believing what I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm friends with you. Yes, I always want to bring this up, but I'm not going to be fanatical about it where this is the only thing I ever talk about for the rest of our lives yeah. and you never want to be with me. Yeah. An example of maybe uh, seeing this in action. It's not just, you know, ears literally getting red and you, yeah. you literally yelling at people and blowing your top. That's not the only thing. You can't say, oh, I don't blow my top check on this. But it's over-speaking people. You know, it's it's not listening. Somebody objects to your your views and, and you, you interrupt them and, and you, you speak on top of them. And yeah, but, and, and you're, you're just moving too fast. Yeah. And you're getting too excited in that sense. Yeah. Not excited passionately, but excited in the sense that you're not there to listen. You're not there to hear. You're not there to work through these things. And you know what? It's the idea that you have to complete it in that single conversation. Yeah. You know, like I said, sometimes it just pause. Okay, we'll talk about this more next week. Yeah. Uh, come on, let's go have our burgers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you could... Uh, th- this is one of the challenges with uh, people being really well-trained in apologetics is sometimes you have all of these machine gun answers and uh, and so if someone you're talking to somebody about truth and God's truth and God's word and they say something like oh you know I don't think there is any absolute truth and you're like oh I've heard this you know wow this this is a softball I'm gonna hit this out you know and before they even finish their mm-hmm. sentence you're like well is that an absolute truth are you are you making a definitive statement mm-hmm. and, and you know, and you're you're belittling them. And all the while, they're thinking, what, you can dismantle my entire existence in one sentence? Mm-hmm. Is, is that what you feel about me? Mm-hmm. Is that what you feel about my life? And so a lot of times what a postmodern really wants to know before uh, they want to hear what you have and what you know is, do you get me? Do you understand me? Uh, have you been in my shoes? And then hopefully from there, can we, can we see a Savior together? How to talk about God. And not lose your influence. That's what we're doing.
How to talk about God. How to be a good theologian and not lose your influence. Um, number two, honesty. Now, a lot of these are going to cross over quite a bit. But honesty, whenever, I, whenever I'm saying honesty, here, here's what I mean. A good theologian is able to admit, honestly admit, when they don't know things. Okay? Most of the time as teachers, you know, you, you, you and I both have a THM. You and I are both ordained. Therefore, we have all the answers, right? I mean, it's yeah. theological masters. Yeah. Masters. We have mastered the subject of theology. Therefore, for the people who have not mastered the subject of theology, we serve as the go-to answer people. Right. Yeah, uh, a good friend of mine in seminary went up right after he graduated with his THM, with his Master of Theology, went up to Dwight Pentecost and asked him, you know, "Hey, I just I'm just become a THM. Do you have any any recommendation, any advice for me now that I'm a Master of Theology?" He said, "Yeah, don't believe one word of it. <laughs> <laughs> one word of the Master. <laughs> yeah, you are not a Master of Theology. Yeah. As if you could be a Master of of thinking about God." Well, you know, folks, I mean, in order to be a good theologian, we really do have to be able to express honestly that we, we don't know things. And, uh, you know, whether you've gotten your THM, and most of you haven't, and most of you never will, that's not, I'm not just talking to THMers, I'm talking to all of us. We need to be able to honestly express uh, those things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's not as a matter of saying, I don't know this right now, but I will go find the answer and get back to you on this type thing. Sometimes not knowing is, you, you, I, I like to distinguish between um, ignorance that is informed and ignorance that is not informed. Ignorance that is not informed, you go, well, I've never studied that, so I will go back and try to figure out the answer. And that's legitimate, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ignorance that is informed says, you know what, I've studied it so much that I don't know. Yeah. You know, and and I can tell you that all the great theologians of the past, Aquinas, Augustine, Luther, and Calvin, they don't know either. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've studied it enough to say I don't know. Yeah. And that's something that we need to be able to say more often. We don't have all the answers. We, we, we have main answers. We have big answers. But, you know, some, for something like this, this is the thing that I always bring up in these conversations, Tim, is that I, our, our entire lives and existence and hope is centered around what happened to the cross. But I don't know what happened to the cross. Mm. I mean, there was these – he was on the cross for six hours. Three of the hours seem to be just kind of, hey, take care of my mother for me. Um, you will be with me in paradise. Speaking in a normal way that anybody hanging on a cross might. Mm-hmm. But there was these last three hours where something happened. Yeah. Now, we can express theologically what we believe happened. We believe that the sin of the world was taken upon him in three hours. We believe that the wrath of the Father was given and poured out upon him in three hours. What happened? How? What did the, what did that transaction look like? I have no idea. Yeah, we can no see idea. it. We can see it in our rearview mirror, but we can we can't drive through it. We can't do a play by play. How does Christ take the sins of countless millions and millions of people, billions possibly, mm-hmm. on Himself in three hours? The sins that will send them to hell for quite a bit longer. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? I don't know. Yeah, and nobody knows. And it's not as if I need to study it more and get back to you. Honesty. Um, another thing, adaptability. Mm-hmm. So, ironic, honesty, adaptability. 
Adaptability, basically what I mean by this, and I don't, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but it's just you, you're ready to change. You need to be ready to change. Okay. Adapt to learning new things. Now, how does this relate to honesty where you're like, hey, I don't know. And then how? what's adaptability? Is that saying, uh, um, okay, I didn't know, but I uh, – well, One how, of the hardest thing is when, if one of your teacher like we are, one of your preacher, one of your teacher of theology, you've taught things for a long time. Mm. And you, these things have been, uh, have been delivered over yeah. and over and over again, many things. Um, and somebody comes up to you and says, did you know that this one point you've been talking about for a long time is wrong? Mm. Um, it's not a matter of honesty that you already knew it. Yeah. It's a matter of what if the guy's right? It's the hardest thing to change a position, especially whenever you've held it for a long time and whenever you've taught on it. You add those two. Just holding on it for a long time, it's easier to change. But if whenever you've taught on it over and over again, if you've taught on it over and over again, that's whenever it becomes unable to be adapted many times. Maybe if you've published a book on, the, on that topic <laughs> even. And, uh, yeah, I remember we were in a Hebrew class one time and the professor was speaking and we were using his textbook against him because you know? yeah. he was teaching one thing and we were like, yeah, but on page 84, he's like, don't use my book against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but you know what? I do respect that. I was just telling uh, Patty, my wife, the other day about a, a pastor that uh, is really dear to us, actually married Patty and I. And one of the things that I respect about him so much is how much he has allowed God to change him. Mm-hmm. And some people would look at him and say, oh, he's still, I still would think he should change this, this, and this about his church or something. But, but, you, but I look at him and say, you have no idea how much work God has done in this man and how, and how he has allowed God to humble him and take him to new and new places. And I respect that so much as opposed to someone that I might agree with on every single point. Mm-hmm. I I have a comic that uh, I often hang up that says has a picture of a man preaching and he's looking back at the camera. I, the camera, I guess, is the drawer, yeah. but he's looking back with a confused face, face and scared face, and it says Reverend Billings in the middle of point number two realizes that point number three misses the point entirely. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Are you willing to adjust in those types yeah. of situations? Whatever you've already written your sermon, yeah. Whatever you've already preached many times, yeah. Uh, many, Saint many, a, many a great sermon has been ruined with good studying. Well, look at Saint Augustine writing the, uh, the. Uh, uh, what, what is it called? Uh, adaptations? No. Uh, retractions. Mm. Retractions. I mean, here's the things later on <laughs> in my life that are retract that I had taught for my whole life. Yeah. Um, we got to be willing to do that. you got to respect Well, because it's someone that's basically showing is that I, I want truth to prevail over my own ego or reputation or anything. I want yeah. the reputation of the Lord to be upheld even at the, stake of, uh, at the sake of my reputation. You know, he must increase, I must decrease. Cement doesn't have to not necessarily dry. You just have to be able to get a chisel and sometimes. Nice. I like that. that. Well, you know, if you just say leave your cement wet the whole time, that doesn't work either. I mean, you want to have strong convictions and passions and, and, and stand upon things. And we're not saying that. Leave it fluid all the time. Let the cement dry sometimes. But there are going to be sometimes it's real hard to get out that chisel and you have to, you have to dig it up. Yeah. Well, and I respect people that might say, 
I still, Michael, you say this where you say things like, I still hold to this, but I see the other side maybe more clearly than I used to, and I still hold to this, but I'm not going to die. I'm, I'm not going to go to the stake for this one. There are many other things I'd go to stake on, but not this. And that's part of just growing as a theologian. Now, this is going to tie into the rest, and I know so many of these have overlap, but I need to express this in a, in a way that is just precise, and that's humility. Um, knowing your place before God. One of the greatest things that I, I liked about uh, A.W. Tozer's, um, uh, one of his books, <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge of the Holy, okay. um, was, was his, his idea that he says, we're always trying to stand up and look God eye to eye. Hmm. Um, and, and sometimes we're trying to look each other eye to eye. You become a theologian and all of a sudden you're, you're trying to be as smart as each other. You're trying to act as if you know things as much as the next person. And you get on that, and all of a sudden, it's just become a pride thing. You're, yeah. you're trying to look everybody eye to eye. And I can't look everybody eye to eye. There's some people that in, in so many areas, are, are I, I'll just never be able to. I just, as we'll talk about in a minute. What was the quote by uh, about Whitfield? Um, Remember that? And uh, John Wesley, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a great expression of humility in the uh, with regard to Arminianism and Calvinism. Um, Whitfield, Calvinist, John Wesley, Arminian. Whitfield was asked one time whether he thought he would see um, John Wesley in heaven. And he said no. <laughs> and he said, after a pause, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but yeah. after a pause, he says, I think he'll be so close to the throne of God that I won't be able to see him. <laughs> so that, that expresses great humility. And I think as a theologian, if we're not, and that, that's a supernatural act of God. Humility is. I mean, humility is the, one of the greatest attributes that we can ever have as Christian. You know, we, we can try so many things, but sometimes studying and knowledge militate against humility and just puff up, cause us to be prideful. Humility. Um, again, all related, but this is specific. We've got to be networked. Mm-hmm. You got to be a network. If you're going to be a good theologian, if you're going to know how to talk about God, you got to be networked. And what I mean by that is you've got to have knowledge. You can't do this without humility, but you got to have knowledge of where you and when you have to appeal to other sources. Mm-hmm. One of the things I appreciated so much about Dan Wallace was I, whenever I first started, whenever I was first under him in the class. Um, I would ask him a question. Maybe it was about the Old Testament or something like that, and he'd say, "You know, I don't know." the answer to that. I can't speak with authority on that. Mm. Um, you're going to have to go to this person. And I'd say, wait a minute. You, you you can just at least tell me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he said, well, no, that's not my area. Mm. And then after a while, if I push him, he'd say, well, if I was to speak on it, this is what I'd say. And he'd go and he'd say all this stuff. And it was like, if I could ever get to that level of knowledge about this subject you just said you don't know anything about. <laughs> you know? but, the, but the idea here is that there's lots of people in mm. the body of Christ yeah. There's a lot of people in the theological body of Christ, and they're not all ears, and they're not all eyes, and they're not all hands, and they're not all feet. I'm never going to be able to be all of those things mm-hmm. in my studies. Yeah. But there's a lot of good resources out there. Yeah. we got to learn how to be networked and to find those different things. You, you cannot become an expert in everything and do not try. 
Yeah, and you got to be able to just trust other people. You know, you got to. It's not like you are the sole person that holds the truth of God. You know, and that that you have to vet everyone else on the planet, and you're assuming that everyone else is not uh, as authentically following Christ as you are, or reading the Bible as passionately as you are, or as, or as aware of church history as you are, or as or as logical as you are, or whatever. You just got to hang all that up and say. This God's in control, and it's a joy that he can use me in maybe one little corner, but I'm realizing there's a whole world out there that he's not using me. And even if you lead a church of 10,000 people, there's a lot of other people that are are there are outside of your church you know i mean there are a lot more than 10,000 people in the body of christ right now and to realize that that's okay and that's okay theologically too if you were the only theologian on the planet uh, that would be quite a terrible responsibility to have yeah networked be willing to be networked uh next is systematic mm. uh, if you're a theologian you need to be systematic at least to some degree uh, and what no, i mean yeah. by this okay is that you have to be willing. Like if somebody came up to me and said, you know, my theology is only from the Bible. I, I might or something. Well, my theology is only from John. Mm. Um, you say, no, you've got to be for the whole Bible, you know, because you can't just be a Joe, Johannine theologian, as we call them. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to more broadly see God's revelation in Scripture to be able to learn the truth and, and to compare it and to be systematic. Yeah. But we also have to be systematic even more broadly than this. We, uh, again, whenever I study and do theology, I'm not just me, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible, the whole Bible. It's me, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, lots of people in mm-hmm. my life of influence, including you, Tim. Mm-hmm. Lots of people in my life throughout all of history, all those theologians hanging on the credo house wall. Yeah, That's being systematic. That's draw, drawing from tradition. It's also looking towards my own abilities and, and reason, rationality. If I'm reading the Bible and something contradicts itself, I don't say, well, it's okay. It's in the Bible. It contradicts itself. Mm-hmm. No, to be systematic is to say there's certain rational principles that God has inbred within us that have to systematize into our theology. If there's something that uh, I, I feel deep down inside, and we've got to be careful with this, I know. Yeah. But we are in the image of God, and the feelings that we have do at least to some degree still parallel yeah. that image of God. And so if, if somebody says, you know what, I've I've... Looked into it, and I think that all infants that die in the womb go to hell. You, you have a deep down sick feeling about that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel righteous. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, if the Bible was clear about it, we'd mm-hmm. say, "Well, I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. The Bible trumps our feelings, and we we have to go there. But whenever the Bible doesn't speak clearly on it, our feelings do have a necessary component to play. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean by systematic. Yeah. You're drawing from all the sources that God has given to us. Well, because we do when we announce new curriculum or things like that, we we almost always get um, get emails from people that say that that say, "Hey, it's just me, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. I don't need any of that stuff." Or or then even even reprove us and say, "Why are you guys doing this stuff? If uh, can't people just have the Bible and that's all that I need and that's all that they need?" And I think you're robbing the body of Christ from functioning. And you're thinking that, uh, which the people who have usually said that, 
and really live that way, I mean, you you end up usually in a non-orthodox position, too. The Bible is our final source, but it's not our only source. It's the only infallible source, but it's not our only source. And it's our ultimate source. Ultimate source. Even the Bible itself says, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes, eternal nature, and divine power have been clearly seen, being understood, understood mm. through what has been made. It's not since the creation of the Bible. It's from the creation of the world. Therefore, mm. there is stuff that the universe itself systematizes into our theology. Yeah. All right. I've got to go through one, two, three, four, five of these pretty quickly. Okay. Can we do it? Yeah, let's do Pastoral. What do you think, Tim? You, you know what I mean by pastoral. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that your heart needs to be not to win Bible trivia, but your heart is to shepherd people, lead people uh, to the Savior. If you, how much does this all tie into, like, being ironic? Yeah. I mean, a, a non-pastoral theologian is not going to be ironic because they're not in it for that. Yeah. yeah. If you're really in it for the people and for yourself and for your people and for your children— how to speak about God will be pastoral, mm-hmm. and it is going to be so careful because the end goal is shepherding. Yeah. Uh, balanced. Whenever I say balanced here, this is looking at all sides. Um, it's not what I grew up with. As a theologian, you cannot say whatever I grew up with, that's what I'm going to try to defend for the rest of my life. Mom and Dad taught me that the Bible is inerrant. Therefore, it is, and whatever I do, I've got to make sure that happens. Mom and dad taught me that infant baptism is the way to go. So whatever I do, i got to defend that. Being a balanced theologian means that you're willing to open yourself up and be understanding of all sides and be balanced in that way. Now, sometimes you might end up holding what you held previously even with a greater clarity, even after really looking into it beyond just this is what I've always been taught. But hopefully you'll do it with a lot more uh, awareness and usually uh, just you'll hold things a little bit looser on things that we'd say are not the essentials of the faith because you'll see you know what there are good people who truly love Christ and truly love the word of God who see it differently than I do I still see it the way that I used to see it but I see where they're coming from and I see that I'll see them in heaven and uh, and you know what they're good people too uh, we just see this passage differently and I can live with that Balanced also implies that you understand the differences between essentials and non-essentials. Exactly. So you can be a balanced theologian and still uh, be martyred hmm. or still uh, you know, be burned at the stake or something. I mean, you could be a balanced theologian and still be extremely passionate about certain things, but you are balanced. Um, well studied. I mean, this seems to go without saying, but let's throw this in there. You do got to study. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine uh, if if you have somebody who says, you know what, the passion of my life is cooking. Uh, then you start asking them questions like, oh, hey, since the passion of your life is cooking, uh, how do I saute or what's the best way to slice an onion? And you'd be like, oh, I've never thought about that before. What's the best way to saute? Oh, I've never done that. How's the best way to cook, uh, you know, to brine a chicken? Well, you know, I have no idea. And you start realizing, you're like, well, you say this is the passion of your heart, but it doesn't seem, it seems like I ask more questions about cooking than you do, and I'm not even that into cooking. And so, and so if someone is asking more questions about God than you are, and you're saying that God is the center of your life, then, I mean, use that as conviction and, and to move you forward to truly say, you know what, I'm going to not watch this Netflix thing tonight because I need to I need to learn more about the God I love. Hmm. Maybe watching the Netflix thing does help 
Maybe it does. Yeah, you make me completely <laughs> So maybe you need to watch that Netflix <laughs> thing because that'll help you. But you know, you you know, uh, hopefully, what you need to do. Uh, but what about it, watching but the Avengers? Tomorrow? If you don't, does that have anything? Well, Michael and I are we are doing a research trip uh, to be able to. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, you know, we believe that there are supernatural forces that exist in the world, well, and so four, you know, yeah, yeah. So we'll need to do a little write up on that. Critical. You've got to be critical. Now, what I mean by this is is not just critical of yourselves. We've already talked about this with uh, humility and willing to willing to change, um, transparency, those types of things. Um, did I say transparency? I, I don't think so. I didn't say that. Okay. Critical, real quick. Critical, simply, what I mean by this is that you are, one of your studying, it's not automatic that these people are right or wrong. You're critical. You're, you're filtering. They don't have to be all right in order to have some wrong. They don't have to be all wrong in order to have some right. You don't discredit them whenever you get to one point on one page and say, oh, look at this. Look where they went wrong. Yeah. I throw away the whole book. Mm. You want to be critical, and you want to um, um, make sure that uh, that you're thinking in such a way. And I think the Proverbs just call this uh, discernment. Yeah, It's not a bad word, being critical. Yeah. Uh, transparency, I didn't say earlier, but let me just say that real quick. Showing yourself warts and all. Now, this is your failures is what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about just what you don't know. I think people have to see you as a real person in order for you to talk about God mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to paint a perfect picture either theologically or personally. You are a sinner. You mess up. And you're going to gain more credibility. People try to hide everything all the time, hide their failures, hide their shortcomings, because they're scared that if you really knew me, you won't listen to me. That's just the opposite. Yeah. If people see you as a real person, they might see Jesus as a real Savior. Yeah. And I think this is huge. Uh, I had a mentor in seminary that really challenged us is to make sure your kids see that too. Because if your kids are growing up thinking my parents are the perfect Christians because they do all of their desperate crying out to God in the bedroom with the door shut after we've gone to bed or whatever, uh, when your kids get to be your age, they might not know how to relate to a real God in the midst of their real circumstances. And so to be able to see God, uh, for you to show your kids your real life with your real God will be a huge gift to them. And here's a bizarre thing. Pastors, teachers parents, everyone. Um, You're never excited whenever you fail. But every failure can end up as an illustration. And so you you mess up. You say, man, i got to use that this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) You know, most of the time you're like, you have great success. i got to tell people about that this Sunday. Um, Can you imagine a pastor? Man, I screwed up. That's got to work into my sermon somehow. Yeah. If you could start thinking that way, man, I'll tell you what, the audience is... I'm not saying they're going to get bigger, but they're just going to listen. Yeah, and if you get fired, uh, Michael's email address is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you get fired for something, then then you probably needed to get fired for it. No, I'm not sure though. <laughs> biblical last one, biblical. I save that. I mean, of course. Here's the deal: you can get caught up in all of this stuff, and you can fail to read your Bible. Mm-hmm. You can fail to say that the Bible is my ultimate source. We don't worship the Bible. But the Bible is the primary means that God has chosen to express himself. And if we lose sight of that, you lose sight of... I've seen people gain every single one of these, yet not be biblical. They forget Mm. the Bible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot. You know, I haven't read the Bible in a long time. Mm. 
I've read I've read Jurgon Mokman, I've read I've read Alistair McGrath, I've read I've listened to the here's the podcast that I have but I forgot about the Bible. Mm. Yeah. Don't forget about the Bible. That's the primary source. That's the only infallible source. That is where God speaks to us most definitely and most mm-hmm. often, most conclusively. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for some good works. Mm-hmm. No, for every good work. Mm-hmm. So be biblical in this sense that you, your whole theology has to be pointing back to God's primary revelation. Yeah. Uh, so the illustration that I'll give is basically imagine us uh, soaking in a hot tub, basically having a conversation. And the Word of God is... Don't this. imagine like me and Tim <laughs> yeah. soaking in a hot tub. <laughs> yeah. like I just got this picture of you and I sitting there. It wasn't that good. Yeah. Okay. So I'll work on this illustration for next time. But uh, where the Word of God is what we're soaking in, and then theology is the conversation we're having as we're talking about our God. So we're being well-soaked in the Word of God, and then theology is the conversation that's naturally happening. I like it. I like Thanks. it now. Just not Let's us just involved. put some few more people in there or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, not just you and I. Hey, folks, next week we're going to continue our series um, on uh, difficult passages of the Bible. Let me tell you something real quick, though, okay? We, we are in a somewhat of a financial difficulty here. We don't get in these that often like we used to. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is, I mean, our all of our statistics and reports show that, that this is just a time of the year every year. We usually do a big fundraising campaign, but we said, well, let's, uh, you know, let's not do this big thing but this time every year uh, things start picking up here in a couple months but uh, we could really use your help right now we thank you guys for going to itunes i've, I've read the the stuff and it's encouraging keep on going to itunes and writing it encourages us but also if you would encourage us by your gifts if you can give us ten dollars a month that's wonderful mm-hmm. if you can give us twenty dollars a month that's great if you can give us a hundred dollars a month great but we're, we're behind about Fifteen thousand dollars, and so we need fifteen thousand dollars. And if you all could help us out in any way, that would be wonderful. Um, No special prize in heaven for that. No, (laughs) we don't have anything we can send you that is magically enchanted to do anything. No, Uh, but uh, we we do uh, appreciate your uh, continuing to join us here on Fridays usually, and we pray that we have been a blessing. And if you can help us out, that'd be wonderful. Next week, we'll see you. Sam will be back. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner, And for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.